From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, reticular macular disease. We believe it does represent occlusion of the chorea capillaris, so we think that is the pathology. First this. As seen from here reaches ophthalmologists in 98 countries, transfers more than half a terabit of podcasts every month, but the potential audience is much larger. Please tell your colleagues about this free resource, Flattening the Ophthalmic World. And while you're at it, let your residents and fellows know about Open Ophthalmology, a free basic science video podcast, already a force in ophthalmic education with 1,800 viewers watching 6,000 video lectures every month. Information wants to be free. Help me give it away. This is part two of my interview with Ted Smith on reticular macular disease. We pick up where we left off last time. What were the results of your study? What what were your findings? So it, it basically showed that for patients who had high-risk eyes um, but that had not yet developed um, advanced disease, the rate of conversion uh, to advanced disease in those eyes compared to patients with those with reticular disease had double the rate of conversion of those patients who did not have reticular disease. So it, it really had a huge impact on the uh, progression rate to, to advanced AMD. Are the reticular pseudodrusin themselves the pathology, or are they simply a marker for a more aggressive sort of AMD? Well, I mean, of course, what we're seeing is, is an imaging manifestation. And, um, but we do think, for example, that the, the findings, for example, probably the most specific in terms of what the pathology you're seeing, for example, ICG, we believe it does represent occlusion of the capillaris, so we think that is the pathology rather than just a marker for it. And, I, and, and sort of to make a sort of a side note there, for example, when you look at lipofuscin deposits in the macula, I think there the answer is different. I think lipofuscin is a marker, uh, and you know, abnormal accumulations of lipofuscin are, are significant markers for different retinal degenerations and macular degeneration, but they are not the disease. They don't cause the disease. Uh, they're just standby, you know, derivatives of uh, abnormal, you know, photoreceptor degeneration. But the um, in this case, I think what we're actually we actually are looking at the occlusions, and the occlusions are causing the disease. So if you have progressive occlusion of the choroidal circulation, you will then eventually have RPE atrophy and geographic atrophy. And if you have occlusion and ischemia of the RPE, you can also have upregulation of VEGF. So they can also lead to choroidal neovascularization. So these lesions are probably driving both the wet and the dry form. So they 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 are the disease basically. They are the they're we think they're basically very fundamental. <clears throat> and so what we're seeing is is the disease in in its own uh, in in progress. Aside from conveying a higher risk mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. AMD progression, in, including geographic atrophy and right. and and as you said, choroidal neovascularization, is there anything that's distinctive about the AMD that's associated with reticular pseudodrusin? Uh, I, we also think that 
the 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 overall risk of conversion is greater and the rate seems to be faster so if you look at patients who have like in this uh, in this NAT study the the patients converted relatively quickly if you look at patients who have um, geographic atrophy we have a study which is um, in press I'm not sure it's been accepted for publication it basically shows that the greater the number of uh, reticular lesions or the greater of area covered by reticular lesions, the faster the growth or the more likely the growth of the geographic atrophy into those areas. So um, it's a marker not only for increased risk, but also for progression uh, at a higher rate, so, which are kind of two sides of the same coin, but yeah, it's, it's, just, it's a worse disease, definitely. You touched on this briefly, but your, your data suggests a gender-specific risk. Can, can I get you to... to Talk about that and whether you have reason to believe that there is a genetic component to this pathology. Yes, yes. I mean, to take the first question first, uh, and I think, again, the answer there may be uh, a little bit paradoxical at first, but so what we see in the elderly population is that we see amongst the patients who have reticular disease a very high preponderance of women. You know, there's a finding in the literature that AMD seems to be more common among women in general, and those rates, however, don't sometimes they're not reproducible or they're, they're uh, but however, in the case of this particular disease, um, it's heavily weighted towards women, somewhere on the order of 75%, 80% women. So it's a very small number of men, relatively speaking, in a, say, the aged population who get AMD. And so the proper interpretation of that, however, I believe is uh, not the obvious one. The obvious one would be that, say, there's something about females that are more susceptible to reticular macular disease. Uh, However, we think that it's sort of the opposite in a strange kind of way. We think it's a systemic disorder, a sign of a systemic disorder. Uh, These people have uh, increased mortality compared to their peers. That was shown in Klein's study. And what we really think is going on is a vascular disease and that um, the vascular disease is probably more severe in men than it is in women. And um, since it's systemic, men are actually succumbing to their disease at a much earlier age from MI, stroke, what have you, and that the women are left. And so um, that's the reason you see more women walking around. They, they make it, they get through that period, they get old enough to get the macular findings where the men have already dropped. So that's why I think there's more women. Just, um, just to rephrase what 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 you've said, mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's your sense that the reason that mortality seems to be higher in the subpopulation is because the disease is fundamentally one that's that's vascular and and not right. just limited to the eye. Exactly, I think it's systemic and vascular, and uh, so I think so what, we're, what we're looking at is. Well, on the one hand, it's, it's a fundamental lesion for age-related macular degeneration, but even that may just be the tip of the iceberg in terms of what, what's really going on, uh, you know, systemic vascular disorder. And uh, so that, I think that's going to take a, a lot of work to, to, you know, go through all these, you know, uh, with appropriate studies, but it's going to be well worth it because it's going to tie into uh, systemic vascular disease. Ted, having learned what what you've learned from from the study, mm-hmm. uh, how, how do you manage these these patients when they come to your own practice privately? Do you, uh, for example, manage them more aggressively than you would 
an, another macular degeneration patient at, at the same uh, stage in their pathology because you, you, you know that these people right. are going to progress more, more rapidly. Right, right. So definitely see them more frequently. And just because I know that that, that time that they're going to spring a leak, you know, for example, in the fellow eye, to put it bluntly, is probably coming sooner rather than later. And um, you can't just say you'll come back in four months or six months and, and you know, good luck to you. I mean, they're, they're, we've seen these people progress. I mean, again, when one eye's already involved and there's a particular disease, that the fellow eye gets, tends to be involved very quickly. So we want to catch them early and treat them aggressively. And, and some of them do require, you know, ongoing therapy, uh, they require more frequent VEGF injections. Sometimes we've had, you know, other people had to deal with this in their own practices, patients who've required, you know, injections even more frequently than monthly to keep them stabilized. And they may be dealing with similar problems without, without realizing it. So uh, I think they have to be treated harder. I think one thing that um, you started to ask me, I didn't quite get around to answering, was about the genetic component. And um, that's also another controversial area, but, but I will tell you that our findings, um, specifically with regard to the ARMS2 locus, you know, there are these two major risk alleles for advanced AMD. There's the complement factor gene, and then there's the ARMS2 uh, risk factor. And we're finding that this risk, arm, the ARMS2 risk allele tie, ties very heavily to reticular disease. So those patients carry even more than their share uh, of those risk alleles in the ordinary AMD group. So there's something going on there probably genetically as well. As, as opposed to the complement factor. Yes, exactly. Age. We're sort of finding, in fact, we're kind of finding the opposite in the complement factor group. They're, the reticular patient's complement factor risk, uh, the percentages that they carry of the complement factor risk allele seems to be um, more like the general population. So they oh, that's be, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, that remains to be confirmed in larger studies and so on, but it's, um, it seems to be more specifically tied to ARMS2. So it may actually be a, a, an actually sort of a phenotype associated with ARMS2, which is interesting. Ted Smith, thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much. Theodore Smith is professor of clinical ophthalmology at the Columbia Harkness Eye Institute of Columbia University in New York, New York. His paper, a prospective study of reticular macular disease appears in the August 2011 issue of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Smith or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jyoungmd at gmail.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.